The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob M. Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Blue, Sue Kalinske. Good morning, Sue. It is uh, Friday, January 12th at about 10 a.m. What's up? What's up? Still dry. Still dry. Yeah? Still dry. Still dry. Good for you. So not yeah. a not a joint, not a gummy, not a drink. Wow. You've lasted uh, 12 days. Congratulations. I was, I was very tested. I went to a bar the other night because it was a friend's birthday party. Right. And uh, I wasn't really tempted, but I was in a bar. Club soda? No club soda in this bar. Get out it's of a, here. It's a place called Joe Jost. Uh, if you've never heard of it, it's an iconic bar in Long Beach. It's been there forever. Okay. They're famous for their pickled eggs and weird like sandwiches that I would never eat. It's God, all, pickle it's all, eggs it, are delicious, though. I they're love actually, they're actually eggs. good. I, I'd never had it before, but they, they're actually good. Yeah, then, we'd always have pickled eggs after Easter because you'd have the Easter eggs and then you'd stick them in the beet juice afterwards and you pickle them up. That's delicious. So, um, yeah, so no club soda. They don't have any juice. I was, I was ready to order a cranberry with soda with a little lime. Yep. Um, so I had a root beer. A root beer. I like that. I like yeah. that. On tap. Wow. On tap is big. Uh So I've been uh, scuffling around with a cough all week long, and we were just talking about it. It's like there's a new thing. Every time I watch the news or listen to the news, there's a new thing that's going around, and there's supposed to be a cough that lasts for 30 days. And I'm like, is there a shot for that that I can get to just clear it up or whatever? I'm so used to getting vaccines at this point. but uh, So I'm going to sound a little bit. Do I sound okay? You sound fine. I mean, you sound a little hoarse. Yeah, I'm a little hoarse. Uh, we got a great guest coming up, Brian Greenberg, who has uh, written, directed, and starred in a brand new movie called Junction. We got that coming up. In the meantime, Sue, I thought, oh, by the way, I wanted to mention, I have stopped smoking joints for uh, this week use, because I have a using cough. The bu- oh, just using the bubbler? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, because I have a cough. I stopped smoking for the week. I don't oh. think it's necessarily going to last, but but I, I'm it, I, I'm also giving something up. Okay. Is this a pissing contest in the giving up department? Kind of. Kind of. It is. Uh, So I thought today what we should do is the year is wrapped up. 2023 is wrapped up. And you and I see a ton of movies. And I think it's easy to do a top 10 uh, because you have room for all the pictures that you like. 10 is a lot. So I thought let's make it really tough and let's do a top five movies of 2023. So I'm going to have you start. If I overlap, uh, if we have the same one, I'll jump in and and add to it. But otherwise, let's do your list first. Just give you my straight list right now. Well, tell me about the movies. Okay. Anatomy of a Fall. Ah, that is right at the top of my list. Written and directed by Justine Trier, starring Sandra Huller. And 
I just thought this was a fascinating movie to watch. From start to finish, unbelievable dialogue. The acting was insane. And the yep. court scenes, you know, it was so odd the way they did the court scenes um, in France. And I don't know if that's the way they do it, but it's like the, um, when, when, uh, when the, um, when the defendant and then some of the, um, witnesses, know, like, the witnesses were, were speaking. Yes. They, they kind of were talking to each other back and forth. And then the, the prosecution and the defense attorney would talk and then, and the judge really didn't interrupt. So yeah. it was kind of like a play in a way in the courtroom. It was really odd. Yeah. Their court, the way of doing things in court is really, I mean, I assume this is the way it is in France, but there are like nine people wearing robes and then there's somebody asking questions and somebody else and the witnesses are talking to each other and the defendant is talking to the witness. It's, I mean, I guess they have a very confusing court system there. Well, and the defendant is speaking not when she was on the stand. Like, I guess she was kind of on the stand, but sitting in, in the, the court, gallery. In yeah. the gallery. So it was, um, yeah, it was really unusual. Yeah. Yeah. And I Would thought you, she is so good. Oh, God. She is so still as an actor. So still. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if we should say this or not. I'll just say there is no clear resolution right which is one of the things that i love about it i love that too and you know you talk about acting the kid was insanely great Oh, the kid was so good and the dog was even great yeah that and, dog did a nice job and you know what i found out um i don't know if i told you this if a friend of mine uh went to a screening and some of the cast was there and they said the dog won the palm door uh it was called the the, the palm best uh dog it was so like at at Cannes, there's an award for best dog. Well, they said that 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 he got it, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was amazing. Yeah. But you know what the movie had shades of for me was it was it felt like, especially during the uh, the flashback scenes with her husband, um, it, it was like a it was like Igmar Bergman's uh, scenes from a marriage. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I also love the fact that there was no score. There was mm. just uh, the kid played piano and the, the husband was playing some loud music upstairs. But beyond that, there was no score. It was just, what would it be called, ambient music? Just music <laughs> that uh, that was either the kid practicing the piano or that song. And I thought that made it even more pop, even more still. Now, mm -hmm. I, I hesitate to ask this question because are we giving it away? No, I don't think we are. Did she or didn't she? I don't think she did. I think she did. You do? Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I do. But it's totally open. It's so open. It's so open. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. Anatomy of a Fall is available on Apple and on Prime. It's for rent. I think it's like $4.99. Completely worth it. I think it's going to be nominated for Best Picture. It's not going to be nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Because the uh, French or France uh, submitted another film. They felt like Anatomy of a Fall was only 60% in French. So they wanted a fully French movie uh, to represent the country at the Oscars. So Anatomy of a Fall, I think it's going to be nominated for Best Picture, though. Yeah, I do, too. Okay, what's next? Holdovers. Okay. You go. Sweet, just charming, cozy, um, 
you know, unbelievable acting. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I said this before when we had talked about it. There were scenes where the way it was shot on the campus reminded me of The Graduate. Um, and mm -hmm. even some of the music was reminiscent of Simon and Garfunkel, which yeah. was very, very cozy to me. Um, Divine Joy Randolph, just phenomenal. Yeah, and she was the, great. And the, and the young actor, this was his first film, Dominic uh, Sessa. Dominic Sessa, yeah. Um, and of course, Paul Giamatti, who is uh, a national treasure and it's an uh, Alexander Payne movie. And they mm -hmm. previously uh, combined on... Uh, what was it? Uh, the the wine movie? What's that? Sideways. Sideways. Uh, sideways. So good. I am not drinking Merlot. Uh, yeah, Paul Giamatti should be nominated for Best Actor. I think he's got a shot to win. I do. I do, too. And uh, I saw a picture. I, I don't know if it, I think it was maybe on Facebook or Instagram or somewhere mm -hmm. where Paul Giamatti, after he won the Golden Globe, there's a picture of him sitting at a table. It looked like he was by himself at an In-N-Out Burger. In-N-Out Burger. What I better way it. to celebrate if you're an Angelino than hitting the In-N-Out? Yeah, I I like the holders, holdovers a lot. It's not in my top five. Okay. What's next for you? Next for you. Past Lives. Good. Past Lives was, it was really just this beautiful fly on the wall kind of film, you yeah. know? Um, and I talked about this before, that opening scene was one of my favorite moments in a film in a long time. Um, just the, the three of them sitting at that bar and you hear that voiceover from some other patron in the restaurant trying to figure out. What's the story with these three people? And they never in a million years could have figured out the story. It is so complex. It's such a beautiful, uh, haunting movie. Greta Lee, I love. She was so good in it. And the actor, uh, Tay Yu, um, is excellent. And John Magaro, who we're hoping to get on the show, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's written and directed by Celine Song. Again, I think this is a Best Picture nominee. It's my favorite movie of the year. I absolutely love it. I find it to be haunting. It's got a moment in it that reminds me a lot of Lost in Translation. Actually, the whole movie reminds me a bit of Lost in Translation. But that moment, and I don't want to spoil it. You know which one I'm talking about, Sue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm like, I've never seen that. I've mm -hmm. never seen a scene like that in a movie. Mm -hmm. So Past Lives, that's another one that's available for rent on Apple and on Prime. Saltburn. Saltburn. I'm so glad you put that on the list. And, you know, you know the story. I started watching it the first time and it was just a mood thing. It was the time of the night. It yep. was, you know, just I wasn't into it. And I didn't pick up from where I left off. I started it from the beginning again. Good. And as I'm watching it, I looked at Tom and I said, why did we turn this off in the first place? This yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Um, it was so out there and, um, uncomfortable and, and I had no idea. I had, I was completely taken yes. for this ride and it was just, Brilliant. Yeah, great cast. Uh, Barry Keoghan is fantastic. Uh, Jacob Elordi is great. I saw him earlier in uh, the uh, Elvis movie Priscilla. He played Elvis. Uh, Rosamund Pike is fantastic. And Richard E. Grant is always so good. Um, I think it's the most outrageous movie of the year. Yeah. There's stuff in there. There are three scenes in there that I've never, ever, ever seen in a movie. And I'm sure I will never, ever see him again. 
Now, this is a really crazy thing I'm going to say here. So, um, I mean, I want to give things away, but I'm just going to say in the dance scene. Okay. Okay. Yes. The dance scene. You do see. um, Male, full frontal nudity. Full frontal nudity. Yeah. And I wonder if an actor doesn't have. A substantial, a substantial size penis. Yeah. Right? How alarming would it be if you were to shot that scene with some uh, an actor with a small dick? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a f- <laughs> an odd question, but a fair one. I wonder if that's not some sort of. Uh, do you think that's a pros- prosthesis? Oh, prosthetic. Prosthetic, yeah. Oh, I don't, I, I, I really don't know. Because like in Boogie Nights, that was a prosthetic on, uh, on Mark Wahlberg at the oh, very end of the movie. Maybe, maybe it would have to be because, you know, who, you, who else are you going to cast in that part? I mean, he was amazing. But what was that baseball, uh, play that take we, take me out. Take me out. Yes. They all stood there on stage. Did you see it, by the way? Yes, I did. Oh. And I thought, you could not have an actor, and those wouldn't. I don't know if those would have been prosthetics because you're. I don't no, know, I don't think so. It wouldn't have been. But I was thinking you probably couldn't hire an actor who had a small penis. Yeah, those are. By the way, uh, there was there was a leak of photos. You remember this from Take Me Out, and Jesse Williams is in that uh, play, mm-hmm. and so they're they they're very serious about it. Put your cameras away, no pictures. Somebody got a picture, and I'm like, you know, if I was Jesse Williams, I'd be like. Yeah, let's push that picture out. I'm, <laughs> I got nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, but shout out to Emerald Fennel too, who was the writer director on that. She previously did a promising young woman, and she's going to be somebody to watch. But yes, Saltburn is on my top five also. Okay, and my final one is Oppenheimer. I don't know this Oppenheimer film you speak. Of. No, of course, <laughs> you know Barbie Oppen- Barbenheimer. Yeah. Um, it was uh, a, a masterpiece, I thought. Um, and even though I feel like I have to see it again because it was so dense, yes, that I definitely missed things, and there were a lot. There was a lot going on, you know, uh, not only scientifically, just the story. There was a lot going on, but I thought it was really um, just uh, brilliantly directed. The acting was amazing, and. Um, you know, I'm I'm hoping um, that Christopher Nolan is going to win a director award. You know, I think he is finally going to win uh, a directing award. Um, it's written and directed by Christopher Nolan. I, I frankly don't want to live in a world where Christopher Nolan has not won an Academy Award. I mean, come on, he's Christopher Nolan. Uh, Killian Murphy's fantastic as uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Although, I'll say this. If it comes down to, and it will, Bradley Cooper, Paul Giamatti, Killian Murphy for the Oscar, who would get your vote? Paul Giamatti. Bradley Cooper would get mine. Oh, really? I thought Bradley Cooper was unbelievable as Leonard Bernstein. Did you, yeah, he, yeah, did no, you like I, the movie? I, I, I thought the movie, the movie was a little tedious, to be hmm. honest with you. Um, I thought the performances were really good. I thought that Carrie Mulligan was insanely yeah, good. Yeah, really good. And if there was an award for best cigarette smoking mm. in a film, yeah. it was this is this is a lesson to every actor 
okay. who doesn't know how to smoke to smoke. <laughs> okay. There was there was French inhaling. There was smoke coming out while they were talking. It was coming out of their mouth. It was coming out of their nose. It was it was what a smoker looks like. Yeah, yeah. I will also say that the makeup in Maestro is unbelievably good. Like old age makeup we've seen and you know it's it's good it's bad it was impeccable in this movie because uh you watch the transformation of bradley cooper throughout the movie and his age makeup as he gets older is so convincing and so realistic i really did forget i was watching bradley cooper i hope mm. and by the way the conducting and the conducting mm -hmm. the full orchestra which you really did i mean i thought that was an crazy powerful scene so it's not in my top five but i really want bradley cooper to win best actor uh yeah. is that your five that's my five okay well here's what's weird so four of our five match huh. that's a first so we we each have anatomy of a fall past lives saltburn and oppenheimer that leaves me a number five and i'm going back to early in the year this movie stuck with me uh, it's it's a really fun movie. It's a really entertaining movie. It's a really smart movie. Air. Oh, I yeah. loved Air. Um, I it's did a too. story of how Michael Jordan got a shoe deal with Nike. It's directed by Ben Affleck. It's written by Alex Convery, who was on the show earlier this year. Uh, you got Matt Damon as Sonny Vaccaro and Ben Affleck as Phil Knight. Chris Messina is great as Jordan's agent. And Viola Davis is always great. She plays Jordan's mother. I thought... One of the cool things about that movie is that it's a movie about Michael Jordan getting a shoe deal, but you never really, you see Michael, a character or an actor playing Michael Jordan, but at no point does he have a line. At no point is he a principal. It's told sort of around Michael Jordan, which is smart because frankly, we all know what Michael Jordan looks like. It would have been difficult to find somebody who looks like him. And if it didn't look like him, it was going to pull you right out of the movie. So I Absolutely. thought really smartly done like that. So Absolutely. I have uh, air on my list. So the one we have different, I have air and you have the holdovers, the holdovers. Yeah. Holdovers would be in my top 10. Uh, some of the other movies I looked at maestro, uh, poor things. Have you seen poor things yet? I haven't seen it yet. Emma Stone should win the Oscar for that. Yeah, that's what that's I hear. super inventive. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I did love. Mm -hmm. uh, American Fiction, have you seen that one yet? I have it. I haven't seen it, but so I, heard it, I heard it's really, really good. Yeah. It's such a smart movie and really, really funny. And Jeffrey Wright should be nominated for uh, Best Actor. It's a great movie. And then Barbie. How do you, you know, we, neither of us put Barbie in the top five, but Barbie is in the top 10 for me. Yeah, absolutely. So we each recognize, oh, I wanted to make one other thing about Oppenheimer. Great score mm -hmm. by some guy named Ludwig Göransson. Mm -hmm. um, he won the Golden Globe the other night, but that score really makes the, uh, the movie work. And by the way, the cast in Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt and Matt Damon and Florence Pugh and Casey Affleck and Rami Malek and Kenneth Branagh and Jason Clark and Tony Goldwyn and Tom Conti as Albert Einstein and Robert Downey Jr. A great performance. He won the Golden Globe. He's definitely going to win the Oscar. Yeah, Oppenheimer, I think, is Oppenheimer, I think, is the consensus best movie of the year. I'd be surprised if it doesn't clean up at all these award shows that are coming up. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, by the way, I went to Broadway. I don't I never even mentioned the shows that I went to see on Broadway. Oh, I think, oh, didn't you talk about that? I did thought we you talk did. About, uh, do we you talk about, about Kimberly you, Akimbo? You talked about your trip to New York, so. Um, I don't know if I mentioned the shows. 
Oh, okay. Maybe you didn't. The one that uh, stuck with me was a show called Kimberly Akimbo. And it's about a, a, a little girl who has a disease where she ages really fast. So she looks 60, even though she's in high school and she continues to age. It's some sort of mythical uh, terminal illness. Um, and she is so good in this uh, play. And the music is so original. It's a really original story. It was my favorite show I saw when I was there. I also saw Merrily We Roll Along, mm -hmm. uh, which stars uh, Jonathan Groff, who's one of my favorites. And mm. uh, I'll tell you what, Daniel Radcliffe is fantastic. Mm. Uh, that's going to win some Tonys. That's a Sondheim one that when it originally opened on Broadway, it closed after like 19 shows. And now it is a gigantic hit on Broadway and is planned for, you know, six months. Uh, uh, it's been playing for six months. And then uh, the third one was, I, I kind of got, I, it's called And Juliet. Um, it is a jukebox musical, which I didn't know when I got the tickets. Um, mm -hmm. It's good. It's good, uh -huh. but I, w I wouldn't necessarily be my choice again. It's fun. Uh -huh. um, I don't, I don't dislike it, but I it just wasn't on par with the other two shows. And then, by the way, I'm going to see uh, MJ the Musical tomorrow. Oh, cool! Uh, at the Pantages, um, it's nice. the uh, guy that won the Tony for playing Michael Jackson. So, oh, he's in it. He's in yeah. this. Bird. Oh, great! Yeah, he can. Are, now, are you going to go see that? I know you've got subscriptions to different theaters in town. Um. How long is it going to be there for? Do you know? I think it's got yeah. another another six weeks. Oh, okay. If it's going to be there another six weeks, maybe I'll go. Yeah, I, I'll I, give you a, I'll give you a review next week. Okay, so, so you know if it's worth it. I love the Pantages. I love I seeing do shows too. there. It's such a beautiful theater. Yeah, it's nice and intimate. Not a bad seat. And I just like looking at the ceiling. Yeah, it's just there's. It's beautiful. I mean, it's so beautifully preserved. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a time when people used to put that time and attention into. You know the design and the the beauty of a of a of a building, and it's just it's a classic. The Pantages mm -hmm. is a classic. All right, before we get to our guest here, Sue, I want to let people know if you're listening on Apple or watching on Apple uh, or Spotify, you can subscribe to the show and leave us a five star rating and a review. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button. I was told you're supposed to say that. Smash the like button. <laughs> Uh, and subscribe to the channel, then scroll down and leave us a comment, a review, a snarky joke, whatever you got. Um, and again, Apple, subscribe to the show. Spotify, subscribe to the show. We love you guys. We appreciate you being out there. All this stuff helps us to grow the show. And this is a big year. We are making a gigantic push. Um, oh, one thing before you go. So one of the ways I'm promoting the show is... I am running pre-roll ads on other shows. Wow. So you have to get permission to do that though, right? Well, no, you've, I've got an advertising campaign where you choose the channels where it's going to show up. So like, for example, if you go to NPR or The Ringer uh, or Popcast or any of the other shows that are like ours, you're potentially going to see an ad for our podcast. Now, I always say skip ad, skip ad, skip ad. But I mean, this is this is another way that we're trying to again make a huge push. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So uh, our guest today is an actor. He's a screenwriter. He's a director. He's a musician. 
He's probably best known for his role on the hit series One Tree Hill. He has also starred on shows like Unscripted, How to Make It in America, and The Mindy Project. On the big screen, he's done movies like Prime, Bride Wars, Friends with Benefits, and Vice. And his latest project is Junction, which he is the writer, star, and he makes his directorial debut. The movie will be out in theaters and on demand on January the 26th. Brian Greenberg joins us. Brian, congratulations on uh, on this movie, man. We really appreciate you coming on to talk about it. I appreciate you watching it and getting the word out. So this is such an ambitious movie, a look at the opioid crisis through the eyes of a pharmaceutical CEO, a doctor, an addict. Um, do you have a personal connection to the opioid crisis? Is this, or is this just telling a story for the greater good? Both. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not an addict, um, but I had a, a, a count, an encounter with, you know, being prescribed opioids when I, I went in for like a routine surgery and then I had a lot of trouble getting off of them. I got dope sick and it just angered me that uh, the system was put in place to make addicts out of people like me who aren't addicts. And, um, you know, since then I've you know, I've lost friends and family and, uh, you know, it's just, uh, um, not family, sorry. I've lost friends and have so many family members have been affected by it as well. It's just, it's just, you know, it's everywhere. And I, I, I just wanted to, on this movie, I didn't have the, the time, the luxury of time to explain to the audience how the opioid crisis happened, nor do I need to, I feel like there's enough information out there. I really just wanted to, to look at, uh, these three characters and, and kind of understand, uh, you know, I, I'm an actor primarily, so I, I'm interested in characters and why they do what they do. And I wanted to know why like good people seemingly did do terrible things and explore that gray area, that nuance, you know? Um, and so that's, that's, that's what inspired me. So what was the process of you? This is your directorial debut. So congratulations. Um, how, uh, how did that come about that, um, that you were, that you got this unbelievable opportunity? Well, you didn't, I didn't get it. I made it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nobody okay. gave me this. Uh, I, uh, I wrote it. Um, and then I wanted to direct it because I've been an actor my whole life. And I was like, no, I really want to try directing. And I think I can do it on a smaller budget. And I think I can do it if I'm in a third of the film and an actor in it. Um, and so it felt attainable. And um, it felt doable. So I just set that my goal in mind and, and I went out to a lot of people and then it was very hard to raise money for this. Then I found this a foundation called the Sandgard Foundation. It was dedicated to fighting the opioid epidemic. They, they responded to the script. They wanted to get the word out there. And uh, that really legitimized the project. And from there, we, you know, we found, um, you know, more money and, and actors started coming on. What's it's like real people come on board. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how I, it was just like, I just told everybody I knew. I mean, I literally told like people at parties, like, I'm, I've had the script, I have the script, I want to make the script. And <laughs> it, I found somebody who found somebody, and I just kept putting it out there until it came back. Uh, Talk about kind uh, of the research of this project, because you're looking at it from multiple perspectives. Yeah. Um, what, what sort of research did you go through to, to write the, the screenplay yeah. originally? Yeah. Interesting. Good question. Um. I'm not an expert on this stuff. Um, uh, so I sought out experts. I just cold called, uh, or cold emailed like Barry Meyer, who wrote the, 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 the book painkillers. Um, he's a writes for the New York times. Um, I would find like wall street journalists. I would just say, Hey, I got your email. My name's Brian Greenberg. I'm an actor. I'm writing this script. Um, I'd love to ask you some questions. Um, and they, you're the expert. Tell me what you know. 
because I knew what story I wanted to tell, but I needed to understand the specifics and I didn't want to get it wrong. So I just sought out the experts, um, which was a lot easier than me doing all the research myself. It's like cheating off someone's homework. <laughs> so uh, are there any uh, director buddies of yours? I mean, as an actor, I, I, I get the feeling that you're the kind of actor that uh, throughout your career, you've probably taken a lot from everything you've worked on. Yeah. You, you seem yeah. like the kind of guy that soaks up everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, did sure. you, is, were there people, mentors or, or other directors that you talked to about um, embarking on this project as uh, a director? Yeah, a lot of the directors that I worked with, um, uh, in particular, Ben Younger, uh, who did Prime. Um, I did Prime with him, and he did Boiler Room and uh, uh, Bleed for this. He's, he's fantastic. He was very helpful in this process. Uh, but he might too did a picture, he did the good guy. Um, uh, Michael Marin, who did um, a short history of decay. I, I mean, on a lot of people, um, you know, and I learned a lot. Um, and I, I've worked with some great directors, and those guys included, and I've worked with some terrible ones too. And I wanted to like learn from those experiences as well, what not to do. Um, so, yeah, everybody, I, 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 there was a lot of goodwill in, in, in making this movie. And uh, I was not, I had no ego in, ask, in, in, in shame in asking people. Um, um, and, and I didn't pretend to know things I didn't know. And, um, that's from the writing process or the directing uh, process. Like if I didn't know how to set up a shot, I would defer my DP and, you know, and, and, that, and there's nothing worse than like people like bolster pretend just for their own ego that they're in charge. I mean, like, I don't care about being in charge and I want to make, tell a good story. So if you got a better idea that can beat this, by all means, like that wins the best idea wins. You know, it reminds me of a little bit of uh steven soderbergh's traffic has anybody mentioned that to you that it's that, that inter intertwining story and by the way it's not a bad movie to be compared to at all right yeah i would say that the the, the the that was one of the inspirations for me um uh, michael clayton was a big inspiration for me the insider was a big inspiration mm, yeah um good time was it uh, the Safety brothers movie was yeah that's right right dog afternoon i mean you know, this movie has three different stories, uh, and I wanted to do three different types of films within that, that all become one. So this is a different aesthetic for each story. Um, so it, it draws from a lot. Um, you know, in Lawrence's story, his, you know, he's the CEO of a pharmaceutical company. He's wealthy. Um, so I wanted it to be very like grandiose, um, you know, rolling dolly shots, that kind of thing. Um, and, He's and, an obnoxious and, golfer. <laughs> yeah. That, oh yeah. my god. Yeah. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> yeah, that, I had to throw my my hatred for golf into this film somehow. Um, <laughs> sure oh enough. no! Oh no! I'm <laughs> insulted. I'm a no, golfer. No, I I also hate it. So I'm looking for it. I'm so bad at it, and uh, I just I don't know. But um, I just wanted to throw that in there a little bit. I just thought it was hilarious. Um, uh, and then, you know, Mary's storyline, she's this, she's the, the doctor of a, a, a pain clinic and hers is very, like, she's trapped. She, she's, you know, we, we, we didn't have the camera have a lot of movement with her. It was like, she's on stilts and, um, and then my, Michael, my storyline, you know, I'm, a, I'm, in, I'm in the throes of addiction and that was very handheld and, and raw. And so all those kind of aesthetics sort of bleed into one aesthetic in the end create one movie but yeah I do, I do from a lot of different films to to get that those aesthetics um yeah how did you uh how did you get griffin dunn involved in this and he he ended up being an executive producer as well yeah yeah so griffin and i worked together on how to make it in america we just did a, a scene and i always thought he was fantastic 
then we did we did like a 24-hour place on broadway which is a charity event um and i just thought he's great he's just like he's such a great actor i've been a fan since you know after hours and he i felt like he had the gravitas of this character um he uh i just felt like he has um that that importance and uh i think he you would believe him in this role also he's such like a nice guy it's nice to see him play opposite a character i'm a big fan of like casting uh i i think that actors aren't given enough opportunities to play uh different types of roles so i'd like to see him in that um yeah and i'm very fortunate that he said yes a lot of actors in his caliber wouldn't work with a first time hmm. director i was very fortunate that he said yes so you are so good as an actor in this movie um Thanks. and i think you've got the the toughest role uh as a dad who you know is trying to get his fix where does that performance come from? Like, did you talk to real addicts? You, you mentioned that you had a little trouble coming off uh, one of your, yeah. uh, an opioid after a surgery. I mean, is that yeah. sort of where that comes from? Yeah, and I drew from that. So I understood the physicality of it. Um, I definitely talked with addicts. I definitely did a lot of YouTube research. I remember, like, the biggest thing for me was, I remember I was going into a urgent care clinic and, like, my, my wife had, like, a bee sting or something. I don't know what it was, something small, but there was a kid in there, like a young kid who was like 18, maybe 20. And he was Jones. Like he was jonesing for, to get, to get opioids. And he just needed his, he was sweating. And it was, like, I got, I, I just was like transfixed by it. I'm like, and I, I, and I was in the middle of already writing the project and I'm like, I'm writing, I was, I, you see that scene in the book. I, I took that from real life. Um, that stuck with me just seeing this kid who it's really it's not about getting high for these people it's about not wanting to be sick and that's a i think people we don't understand that uh who who are who look at addicts as victims or look at them as, as criminals you know they're not criminals they're just they're trying to they're trying not to feel sick anymore and i think i wanted to destigmatize that yeah you know it's it, it's it's oh god it's so tough i i actually dated a junkie when i was uh my first year of college um, it was a high school boyfriend of mine and, uh, I went away to college. He, I graduated early, so we were the same age, but I went to college first. And while I was in college, I found out that he started shooting heroin. I was like, oh my God. And I, I was already in deep. He was my boyfriend. I was madly in love with him. So I stayed with him and we lived together. And I remember one time he came to me and he begged me, begged me to let him shoot dope mm. and i was like freaking out and i was like i no 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 and and you talk about the sickness he mm -hmm. said i i'm so sick and it and just just let me do it this time and i knew it wasn't going to be just that time but i said yes because he was yeah. just like struggling so much and he was in yeah. so much pain yeah. so that That's was just you know it, it was it was watching this it was painful for me it was so sad to me but it was so real it really was yeah yeah um sorry to hear that yeah unfortunately you know it's another reason i want to tell the story it's just like everybody can kind of it, relate to this you know i mean it's 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 one of those things that people at the time weren't really talking about it's like we we would hear about the opioid crisis and it was just like oh it's this you know external thing that's happening but i don't really know how to uh, compartmentalize it or think about it <laughs> you know it's just like a thing that's going on like this constant war that's happening um i just wanted to bring it home and, and make it real for people and um try to understand like 
who are these people inside of this this thing that we talk about that affects everybody um, yeah and you and, know you say it affects everybody i there's there's a scene in the movie where your character michael winds up in this crazy i'll, I'll just call it a drug den right. uh where a guy is a dealer and i and i all i could think was here's this middle class upper middle class uh, regular guy who finds himself in this situation for a pill or for a couple of pills and i thought this this sickness opioid addiction is very democratic it hits every economic status that there is and it it's rich and poor and everybody in between right it doesn't care what political party you are it doesn't care what skin color you have it doesn't care how much money you have in your pocket that's the thing about the, these drugs. It's like once they get in your system, they win. And um, you know, uh, this this these these drug companies had incentivized so many people, like doctors and politicians, to 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 make this acceptable to create addicts out of them, all of us. And um, you know, fortunately now there are things that are combating it. But you you know, this takes place in 2017. But now we're dealing with a whole other side of the crisis which is fentanyl and um you know it's like once these it, it went from like opioids to heroin to fentanyl so it's just it's 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 pretty it's pretty uh it's pretty massive but i think you, you got to start by talking about it you got to start by um you know like understanding like there's there's systems in place that we can you know like narcan we need to make that more accessible um you know and stop stop look stop trying to criminalize these people as like criminals they're not criminals they're they're addicts so they need help we need help mm. so how do you direct a scene that you're in this is always when whenever somebody is directing themselves i always wonder about this like there's one particular scene where michael has left the house he's he's looking for oxy um and you're in profile and it's a moving shot and there's some some really haunting music behind it but it's really profile and on your face how do you shoot a scene like that it's one of my favorite shots in the film i'm glad you picked up on that um so I, as a director i set up the shot with the dp i have somebody else i'm walking by them so i can see the camera and i can see what the shot will be and then when it's my turn to step in in front of the camera i'm not a director now you know, I just have to trust that I've done the preparation. I have to trust that like my team, my DP, my producers, everybody knows the my other actors, they know what their jobs are. And I can just be in the moment and flow. And I can't be this, like, I can't have this, I can't have to be watching myself. You know, I have to be in it or it's not going to work. Um, so the, 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 really the answer is when you're acting in something that you've directed, you're not, you're not directing. You're acting. You yeah. have to. If you're doing a good job. You have to. So you just have to let it go. And have a yeah, I want to talk about one of your uh, one of your actors in particular. You have a great ensemble cash cast, and um, I think his name. Is, I think I'm pronouncing it right. Dash Mihawk. Dash Mihawk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got a monologue towards the end of the film that kind of brings everything to all the storylines come together, and I think one of the reasons it works so well is because of his performance. Uh, talk about casting him and why that sequence uh, is so effective. Yeah. Um, well, Dash, I also worked with on how to make it an actor. He's a fantastic actor. 
I think he's a, you could call him a character actor. He's been in so many different types of films, different in his, he's just, I remember a movie where he played Pete Rose. Oh yeah. I didn't see that. In an ESPN (laughs) movie directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Weirdly. Yeah. He played Pete Rose. Wow. Yeah. Like he's like, Dash has, Dash has been around and he's worked with some legends and he's just, he's fantastic. And he's, you know, he's got this huge heart, uh, that always comes through on screen and that particular monologue, that's my voice as a filmmaker. That's what I'm trying to say with this movie is he, he's embodying that. And, um, you know, I think what helps that scene is, uh, I, I shoot a lot of real people in, I cut away a talent. So I shoot a lot of real people looking at the camera. Um, and it started as a director, I started doing that on set. I would just take all the extras and have them look at the camera. And I would say, do you know anybody affected by the opioid crisis? Think about that person. What, what do you wish you could say to that person if they're still here, you know, and just don't say anything, but just say, say it and think it with your eyes. And I would film that and I would do that for everybody. And then I was like, you know, what? I want to go to the streets and find real people. And then I found people who were in the throes of addiction mm. and I would say, Hey, you know, I'm doing this movie. Can I film you? You know? And then, you know, we would, we would film them and then, um, and get those reactions. And then, you know, I was like, I don't want to be exploitive of addicts. This is not like, I'm not trying to, I feel like that was just a genius of the film I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make a movie about that of all the people that are affected by, uh, the crisis, not just addicts, um, but family members, um, you know, counsel. So I went. So I went to New York, and I and I filmed uh, like a uh, uh, with a a group that helps people get off the streets and provides counseling and um, uh, for addiction. And so I filmed them, and I filmed like social workers, and, and I filmed their reactions. And I intercut all of that into the film, into that, into this monologue because I feel like it. I needed to really give these people in this crisis a face. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that comes through um and and it, it just makes the story land yeah yeah it, does. It, was, it was it was really really powerful how was it directing um the actor who played your son like did was he completely understanding of of what was going on with you yeah um, yeah yeah wesley he's, he's a brilliant brilliant actor i wish i was that brilliant at that age for <laughs> he's just a, like a, a a little acting machine um but he was doing broadway uh you know so he was very trained his parents were very cool and they were on set and you know we we, we, we sat down and we, we talked about um you know we were just very i was very honest with him i think he was like 10 or 11 at the time and um but he was smart and he understood what the story was and what we we needed I, I didn't pull punches with them, you know, I was like, this is the type of movie we're making, you know, and you know, this is the, this is the relationship, the father, sometimes I'm going to be pretty mean to you, you know, as an actor, like, uh, you know, as your father, I'm not, but, uh, I'm, I'm in the throes of something else. And, um, he was, he had the capacity to understand. He was very mature. So I, I, I talked to him, like, I would talk to you. I mean, he was, he, he got like, I didn't have to play like mind games with him. <laughs> he was mm-hmm, really, mm-hmm. He really got it and he understood exactly i didn't have to do much with him he, he was there you know so honest question and this is just open-ended um you've yeah. done so much research for this project you've made this movie um why has this country the greatest country in the world hmm. been so ineffective at dealing with the opioid crisis um how has it gotten so out of control is it just purely greed um i think it started with that 
Yeah, right. It starts with greed. Well, it's like, like with anything, there's not, and that's what I try to do with Junction. It's like, there's not one thing. It's just, a, there's so many different factors that go into making a, a crisis a crisis. Um, and there's so many different nuances and factors, but I think, yeah, one, greed for sure. And you see that, and I tried to see, show you that in this story um, of these drug companies and, and uh, knowing what they're doing to these people and not caring and then manipulating the system because they have so much money and power and everybody getting in line. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. But two, I think it's the way we look at drugs. We've always, I, I personally think that, you know, we had this fallacy in America that you can create a war on drugs. And I don't think it's ever worked in our favor and it's always backfired. And I think it's just understanding that like, uh, and, and, and the lack of empathy for, uh, for, for people who, who have these addictions and, and we need to like put, you know, be more sympathetic to that and, and take the criminalization out of drug addiction. I think that's a, a big part of it. So yeah. I try to really show, um, the humanity of what it's like to be in that in this film. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I wish, I wish I had the answers. I ask more of the questions in this film. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. Just, I mean, it's a good discussion. I mean, it's, it yeah. prompts a discussion, which I think is the, the importance of the movie. But yeah, I guess nobody really, if, if we had the answers, we'd be doing something else altogether, right? There yeah. are programs out there. I mean, making Narcan more available to people that should be over the counter, um, everywhere, you know, uh, same with fentanyl test strips. I mean, now the crisis has moved into fentanyl as, as we're all aware of. Um, and I think just like, like making the, like the, there, there are treatments and making those treatments like, uh, more accessible, like it, you know, getting the prescriptions to these drugs to get off of it, it should be easier. Um, and, uh, giving government, you know, federal funding to these, and there's like right now there's, they're, they're trying to pass an act for like the, uh, fentanyl, um, uh blanking on the name like uh, jelly roll just did an amazing speech yesterday uh, mm. uh, uh, you guys should check it i put it on my instagram story um uh you know try just being an advocate for it i mean there are things that we can do as a country to get and i think now that we're stuck in and and i think the first thing we got to do is just stop looking at people like they're criminals and that that you know and this is their fault yeah <laughs> yeah you know? right and I, and I, and I also think the precarious thing is that, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, people come in, they're in pain and not everybody is an addict. People do become addicts. Some people do, but some people don't, you know, I, I was sick. I was in the hospital. I was on a Dilaudid drip and yeah. it was amazing. And I remember the, the I nurse. I yeah. remember the nurse coming in in the morning and saying, we're taking this off of you. Get as much of it as you can before we take it away. Because she knew what the feeling was, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not an addict. I don't have an addict, you know, personality. But sometimes I think, you know, may, you know you're not, not everybody that walks into a doctor's office who is being prescribed something is going to be an addict. So I right. think, you know, in, in those cases, it's very tricky. It's very tricky and pain is relative. Like mm -hmm. what pain is for you is not for me, you know, and we have different thresholds for that. And, um, you know, and in, 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 in this film, like the doctor, like she has good intentions. Like, I don't think she wants to, she doesn't want to see her patient suffer. She does. She hates that. She's, um, you know, so she's doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, which is, I think is interesting to watch. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so uh, we wanted to talk about junction. I, I wanted to ask you a couple of off-topic things, if that's okay. Hey. Yeah. So your first starring role was in a movie called Prime, and uh, an actress named Meryl Streep plays your mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This this is early in your career. Working with Meryl Streep was it intimidating? What was it like to have Meryl Streep as a scene partner? She was couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more welcoming. Like she would rehearse with me in my trailer. Like was always yeah. available. We'd go out and have burgers and beers together and she was just the greatest like really took me under her wing and made me feel so i felt so comfortable with her and it, like of course i i've always wanted to be an actor my whole life so getting to work with meryl street when i was like 26 years old was incredible um but i she was so disarming and i think she was aware of the um her stature and like how people perceive her and she's just so human and and relatable and i think that's why we all as audience members like her work because we all kind of can escape in her humanity um but she was very she, she was not off putting at all she felt so welcoming and um yeah it was pretty crazy to, uh, <laughs> to work with her at that age and i learned a lot from her uh, I, I want oh go ahead sue I wanted to actually talk to you about Unscripted because I've worked in the Unscripted world for a very long time as a producer, started with the Osbournes and Newlyweds, oh, cool. where it was really pure, pure reality. Yeah. Um, I want to know, they, I, I, unfortunately, I couldn't get to see every episode and I didn't see it when it first came out, but I've, I found season one, episode one last night. Where did you find and it? It was on some bizarre site. And if I find it, I'll let you know. I, this show was one of the coolest things I've ever worked on. It was an HBO show called Unscripted that created by George Clooney and Grant Heslop and Steven Soderbergh. And we only did one season. It was about actors trying to make it in Hollywood. And it was like quasi reality, quasi scripted. And people didn't really know what was real, what wasn't real. And you can't find it. I don't know why HBO, I love for HBO to put this back on their website. If you're listening, HBO, can you just put Unscripted back on? It's my, one of the best things I've ever done. And I, you can't, it's just like in the ether somewhere. I have no idea where it's It's crazy that it's not accessible. I have a friend that works at HBO, big, big time at HBO. So I'm going to call her and say, hey, get it. it back on the air. But there's one scene, you know, because when I started working in reality, people would say, was that real? Was that real? And, you know, Osborne's and Newlyweds, pretty much everything was real because it was early on before anybody tainted the, you know, the genre. But right. There's a scene where you're with your friends and you're up for this part and they're helping you with your resume right. and they're telling you some things to put on your resume. Canadian passport, um, say that you worked on A Beautiful Mind to the sequel, um, <laughs> just that you're a juggler. I mean, just how much of that did you, were you guys just riffing? Oh, that whole show was improv. So like, look, this was clooney baby like he wanted to do a love letter to hollywood but to his credit like he let me i've never been involved with a project like this since like those were my actual friends from nyu actor buddies and i was like you don't want to be good on this show it's like these are my roommates and we're all like com competing for auditions and they're like yeah let's do that and they, they we did a scene and like they became serious regulars on the show it was like these it was great and what we would do is we would structure out every episode of like okay brian gets an audition his buddy tries to steal his audition you know whatever like we would outline we knew what scenes we were doing but like all the dialogue we would just have like five cameras going and we would just shoot 
So it was very loose. And I was playing Brian Greenberg, but I was playing like this version of an actor who's like falling upwards and always trying to like make every situation super uncomfortable. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's kind of like my, my goal. But yeah, it was, it was structured, but improv. Yeah. Was yeah. the casting agent who you went in for that, I guess it was Santa Cruz, was he the real casting agent or was he an actor? Yeah, remember that scene. Um, okay. I, I think it was a real casting director at the time. Wow. Because um, he's a lot of real people. Like Brad Pitt was in it. Uh, Meryl Streep was in it. Um, <laughs> right. I, you know, we, we incorporated that, me getting Prime into that. Um, that was a, a crazy story in and of itself. Um, uh, so, yeah, there was like a lot of real stuff. But we would create like fake stories. Like, like when I was shooting Prime, like we created this fake story. Like I was partying my buddies all night, getting drunk. And then we filmed you know, and then I, I got called into work and we had, and I had to film. So I wasn't drunk. I wasn't, I didn't go out the night, before, but I pretended. So we shoot the scene for prime and, and then they'd yell cut. And then I would pretend to be hungover. Like, oh my God. And it's crazy. You know, so it was weird. Like I'm filming two things at once. It was the weirdest, most exciting time in my career. Actually until junction probably was so much going on. Um, cause junction with writing and directing and producing, I felt sure. the same real I had then cause it was just, so many things happening once it was incredible well listen this has been uh this has been great the movie is great uh it is beautiful complex storytelling terrific ensemble cast and really does serve as an opening to a conversation about the opioid crisis and and what's uh what's hitting in america right now uh, you said it so perfectly like that's what i wanted to do i wanted to have the conversation i'm not here to provide the answers i'm here to ask the questions i want us to have these conversations so thank you for it I'm, I'm so happy that that's what you got from it. appreciate it uh, and everybody can see junction opening january the 26th uh recommend you do it it is uh, it's a great great film uh brian thanks so much for coming on man we really appreciate awesome. it thank you thanks for having me and there you have it there's brian greenberg it is a really really interesting movie i love the fact that it really he said it it really doesn't have answers but it does prompt a discussion and it shows it from three different perspectives um and i love the way the stories intertwine it really does feel a lot like the movie traffic and actually after the interview that scene in the drug den i i thought it's like alfred molina in boogie right. nights he said that was absolutely uh, a reference that he was looking for but uh, it does have that vibe to it i think yeah you know people who uh these these uh drug companies they should be forced to sit and watch this movie yes i agree yeah, everybody should watch this movie yeah everybody yeah 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 but it. but but these guys definitely um yeah i of course everybody should should see it it's a very important film but again sit it in front of those greedy assholes and and show and them what show they're doing them. to the world exactly exactly yeah. so but uh yeah he's great he's adorable I, I i he's a great actor and and uh i actually saw a little bit of um um how to make it in america too um, oh, that did was you? That, that mark Wahlberg. uh uh, series no nice, that, that nice. kind of like they compared it a little bit to um to entourage but he he's great he's just a terrific actor yeah and he is actually one of his songs that he did in um unscripted made it into uh the show oh really he's a great singer songwriter well, he's, he's released four albums i mean we only had 30 minutes so i couldn't get to everything but he's released four albums most re recently in 2019 I know. And he toured, I, I was reading about him. He toured with Gavin, uh, 
Gavin DeGraw, and um, a, cu- a couple of artists. A couple others, know. yeah. But he's yeah, actually Graham been Cotton, on tour. Know. He's got to be great. He's really good. Yeah, yeah, he's a very talented guy. Very cool. Uh, thanks, Brian Greenberg. Thank you very much for uh, watching. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Sue, it's great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. Mm-hmm.